It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Michelle Ward. As a mom, I've looked my children in the eyes with love and hoped I can lead them toward a bright, wonderful future. But as a neurocriminologist who's been studying violent crime for the last 20 years, I've also quietly hoped that at the very least, I'm not raising a future serial killer. And if you can relate to that taboo thought, congratulations, you've just found your new favorite podcast. This is How Not to Raise a Serial Killer. In an effort to be mindful of sensitive topics, please note that this podcast contains discussions of suicide. Thank you, Kevin, for agreeing to do this again. You were the only dad I've had so far. I've got others coming. But you brought up a fascinating case last time. I don't know if it made it onto the podcast, but you brought up the mysterious curious 2008 Florida Gators and I'm not a huge sports person I watch USC football and Boulder football because I went to those schools but I dove into this case I'm like how how have I walked this earth this long and not known so thank you so my first thought when I dove into this case of the Florida Gators when you think of college and professional football it isn't hard to sum up images that can seem really violent There's the loud crashing of the helmets, the aggressive dogpiling, the ubiquitous tackling. And if you don't know the rules of the game, it looks like a bunch of guys in tights trying to kill each other. And that said, you don't expect the players to be real criminals. I mean, all eyes are on them and they have this opportunity of a dream job. So many little boys grow up and say, I wanna play for this team, I wanna be in the NFL. And they got the chance. They got the golden ticket. So you'd think that they're going to be behaving. Now, every once in a while, of course, we do hear of a football player having a brush with crime. And then naturally, there's the occasional O.J. Simpson, who had some very serious brushes with the law. But let's talk about what you brought to my attention, the truly bizarre 2008 Florida Gators. (laughs) 
had no idea about this team and the reputation that besieged them. And I want to talk with you today about not only the obvious pathways that could have led to the violent underbelly of this sport, such as head trauma and impulsivity, but also a different theory, which might get us into a little bit of hot water, but I think it's worth it in opening up this conversation. Ooh. I don't know, it's going to get exciting. <laughs> A New York Times article described the juxtaposition of nearly perfect athletic performances from this team against staggering legal offenses. As the University of Florida dominated college football for the better half of a decade, the Gators accumulated an incredible number of victories, accolades, championships. And in six seasons, I think this is right, they won 65 games, two Southeastern Conference championships, and two national titles. But then the article lists the jarring number of crimes, big and small, that were pinned on these players. The article says that many of the charges were typical of college campuses, such as underage drinking, disorderly conduct, violations of open container laws. But other more serious charges included, ready, aggravated stalking, domestic violence by strangulation, aggravated assault, burglary, larceny, fraudulent use of credit cards, and more. Most of the cases never went to trial, and the charges have been dropped or pleaded down. So first, let's talk about the overall stats of this team, and I'm not talking their wins. Their, their football stats, I already mentioned those. An investigation that looked at both football and basketball programs based on police records found that University of Florida had the most athletes, 80 athletes, a whopping 24, almost a quarter percent of its roster, named as suspects in more than 100 crimes from 2009 to 2014. And get this, not only did they have the most players accused or convicted of crimes, they also had the most repeat offenders. And here are the stats. 41 of these players were on the Gators football roster, and they've been arrested either in college or afterwards, and sometimes both. This included 16 players on that season's final two-deep roster, nine of whom were starters, as well as a kicker, a punter, and a returner. This podcast isn't long enough to list all of the crimes. I, I'm going to list the best ones. Here's one of my personal favorites. Cam Newton. This guy steals someone's laptop, and then he brings it back to his dorm. And when authorities come knocking on the door to ask him about it, he throws it out the window, but the super genius forgot that he had just spray painted his damn name on the laptop. Hey, the first step to stealing goods is to put your name on it. Yeah, I'm, I'm guessing he's not there on an academic scholarship. But then there's the linebacker, Jim Powell. In October of 2012, he started freaking out and threatening this owner of a local convenience store who wouldn't give him free items because of who he was. And it was just disturbingly entitled behavior. According to the report, the owner, this guy named Gregory Crystal, he stated that Powell just thinks because he plays for the football team at UF that he should get free stuff. That's how it is. These guys get to campus and they think that they can get away with things. They think they're above the law. So police gave Powell a trespass warning. And even though the incident didn't make the news, um, the police did report it directly to the athletic department administrator. I'm sure hand, hand, his wrist slapped. Yeah. And 
Exactly. So unfortunately, Powell didn't learn that he isn't above reproach from that embarrassing incident. So even after he left the Gators, he was acting up. In 2014, a Gainesville police officer stopped Ron Powell for a lane violation. No big deal. It was just a few months after he'd been drafted by the Saints, the New Orleans Saints. When the officer looked at his license, she recognized his address as being the same address as a well-known drug house. So a canine officer was brought to the scene. I guess it was probable cause. And lo and behold, the dog flagged the likely presence of narcotics in the car. The car was then searched, and a white powdery substance was found on the driver's seat. They have the ability to test this right on the spot, and they did, and it was cocaine. Instead of arresting Powell, the officer makes the assumption that the cocaine must not be Powell's. It must belong to a known drug offender who lived at the same address, so she just let him go. Oh, God. No arrest, no ticket. I don't even know if he got a warning. He's just, oh, I'm sure this isn't yours. Yeah. And this kind of... I don't know, entitlement, there's a trend. I, I talked about, you know, Jim Powell going into the store and acting like he should get stuff for free, but his fellow athlete, Jermaine Cunningham, did kind of the same thing. He was the defensive end, and he was also like Veruca from Willy Wonka. He got into a physical fight with an employee at Jimmy John's because the employee asked Jermaine to pay for his chips. <laughs> I mean, how much could those chips have cost? Like, the temper tantrum isn't over the money, right? It's the entitlement, right? It's so bizarre. It's so bizarre. And I don't know that it's common. It's just so pervasive in this team. To Norris Jenkins in May of, of 2009, he was arrested. Um, he was the cornerback and he was arrested for fighting and, and resisting arrest. And an officer wrote in his report that he saw Jenkins physically fighting with a group of men. The officer yelled for him to stop but they just continued fighting. He drew his taser and fired it at Jenkins after he saw him punch another man in the head. And then Jenkins got up and ran away, ignoring the commands to stop. Jenkins tells the police that he was acting in self-defense because he thought maybe someone was going to steal the rather large gold chain around his neck. But that's not what the officers reported seeing at all. So then Jenkins hires this attorney, this guy named Huntley Johnson, and this guy publicly says that Jenkins' actions were in self-defense, despite what the officer saw, and he expected the charges to be dropped. And guess what? They were. They were. After oh, he received course. deferred prosecution, which is basically getting him off the hook as long as he meets some unremarkable requirements. Who gets tased but not arrested? Yeah. Sorry about that. Whoops, I'm sorry, I didn't realize who you were. Go on, keep hitting the guy. Yeah. Sorry, did the taser hurt? I hope it didn't cause any cardiac problems for you. I mean, they don't, tasers are no joke. I mean, they can be lethal. They don't pull them out unless they need to. And then to not even have like any repercussions after that, after yeah. you did something bad enough to get teased. But wait, there's more. On January 22nd, 2011, police caught Jenkins smoking pot in the bathroom of a local nightclub. I mean, it was illegal. Back then, it seemed like no biggie now. He pleaded no contest, and the court withheld adjudication, which means he was not convicted. And three months later, police caught him smoking pot again in a parked car, but this time, he was kicked off the football team and was later found guilty. Finally, something happened. There's another player with the same last name, but no relationship. His name is Moses Jenkins, and he too had plenty of run-ins with the law. 
I don't have time to go through all of them, but the one that bothered me was that he was among a group of athletes, these athletes at the school, who police questioned about shooting fireworks at humans, at people, like weaponizing them. And Chris Rainey, the Florida running back, he admitted he took responsibility for it. Like, what could possibly go wrong? We were just shooting people with firecrackers. Oh, and that same Chris Rainey was accused of sending a text message to a former girlfriend that read, in part, time to die. Wow. He was actually arrested in Gainesville on battery charges, shocker, and then released by the Pittsburgh Steelers. So I couldn't believe this. I started like digging deep. I spent more hours on this than I care to admit because I'm like, this can't be real. Here's another one. Ronnie Wilson, a lineman from the initial 2005 recruiting class, punched and spat on a man, <laughs> then opened up his trunk, grabbed an AK-47, and opened fire outside of a nightclub in 2007. He was later arrested on charges of marijuana possession, who cares, and battery and assault. I do care about that. Safety Dorian Monroe was charged with felony theft after he was accused of removing the parking boot affixed to his car. Like, I feel like you should be able to pay for your parking tickets, but that's entitlement too, right? Like, I can park wherever. And then safety Tony Joyner was charged with breaking into an inbound lot to retrieve his girlfriend's towed car. Like, forget just paying the fines. Yeah, I'll give that back for you. Yeah. I got away. Honey, I can do this. (laughs) True love. True love. Um, I have some more about Moses Jenkins and Carl Moore and a bunch of pot smoking. I'm not, I don't have time to get into it. Have you heard of the Pouncy Twins? Oh, yes. They, that's a whole other story in those two. You're going to have to tell me. I didn't get much on them, but I thought I had to include them because their names make it sound like they are like adorable baby influencers, like twins, but no. These were brothers who played right next to each other on the offensive line. One was the center, the other was the guard. And they they donned hats after Aaron Hernandez, who obviously we're going to get into. They donned hats saying free Hernandez after he was arrested for murder. And then I guess they also like <laughs> were having a birthday party at a bar and they started just beating people up. Right. These two were a lot of trouble and very connected with Aaron Hernandez. And, and I think um, a lot of these players went on to be first round draft picks. I mean, Cam Newton, who you first mentioned, transferred and then ended up winning the Heisman Trophy at Auburn, was wow. a starting quarterback for multiple NFL teams. And yeah, the Pouncey brothers still, I believe, still play today um, or recently retired. But Janoris Jenkins played for a long time. Yeah, a lot of these guys went on to have great careers. You know, we'll talk about what comes first, the chicken or the egg. But the more crime you get away with, the more emboldened you become to commit crime, right? You know, who's enabling all this and who's who's making it seem like they'll always be able to, to get out of it somehow. And I think we know. This is what I fear when I'm reading about this. If you are so brazen to act entitled and violently and criminally in public, how are you treating women behind closed doors? How yeah. are you treating your kids, your family, your roommates? I don't even want to know what it really looked like when these guys were alone. Uh, you say that, Michelle. It reminds me of something Cam Newton said in an interview when he was in the NFL. Um, it was very derogatory towards a female reporter, and she asked a question he sort of snickered and looked at her and, and said something to the effect of, you know, that's cute when a female reporter asks questions like that. I know you take a, a lot of pride in seeing your receivers play well. Devin Funches has seemed to really embrace the physicality of his routes and, and making getting those extra yards. Does that give you 
a little bit of an enjoyment to see him kind of truck sticking people out there? It's funny to hear a female talk about routes. Like, it's funny. Just horrible. And, you know, just to your point, how do they treat women behind the scenes? You know, and um, I always think it's fascinating when they're charged or caught doing something. How much more do we not know about? Just to your point. Ew, how rude. I hope she cut totally off the rude. interview and schooled him a bit. He got, yeah, there was a lot of talk about that. But that was, you know, it wasn't even, I think that was maybe five years ago. It wasn't that long ago either. So I have some words for Cam. <laughs> oh, this one's so weird. Jamar Hornsby. This guy was accused of ringing up 70 fraudulent charges in 2008 using a credit card that belonged to a woman who died in a motorcycle crash. Like, how gross are you to like, oh, this girl I know died. It isn't pretty when someone dies in a motorcycle accident, right? We know that. But to be like, well, damn, I have her credit card. I'm thinking, I'm, shoot, I'm just going to use this. Yeah. I just can't. The visual for me is it's it's a lot. He had a long list of property damage, criminal mischief. Like he's just, he was not a rule of, a law-abiding citizen. Right. I mean, just the the conscience of these people, you know, to to feel like that's okay, and you know, I'm I can do what I what I need to do and not have any ill will about it. Mm -hmm. um, especially the Aaron Hernandez story, but yeah, yeah. Oh, Aaron. We could do a whole podcast. I mean, there's been 7,000 podcasts on Aaron Hernandez, and we're wow. just going to touch on briefly so people still listen, because I promise you I won't Aaron Hernandez you to death. We will talk about him a little bit. But I feel like some of these guys where it's like, no wonder you think you can get away with murder. Um, how, how about this? Carlos Dunlap, he was accused of driving under the influence, and I believe he was on his way to a conference championship game. Like, come on. You're, this is a chance of a lifetime. Your mom is so mad at you right now that you blew that. Right. <laughs> he probably was allowed to play. I don't even know. Um, Lewis Murphy was arrested at the Tampa airport for f trying to fly with a loaded gun. Ah. TSA doesn't care because, you know, I'm Lewis I'm Murphy. Athlete. <laughs> TSA cares. <laughs> the, the pilot cares. Because right. guess what? Planes have been taken down that way by threatening a pilot. With a firearm, I like. Also, why not put that in the checked luggage? You're still probably going to get busted, but you're certainly going to get busted when you try to walk onto the plane with that. I I can't. Just above the law thinking, right? Well, and like when your bag goes through the X-ray, you're like, Psh, don't yeah, can I leave a water in there? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm and like worried about water, but <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay, there's Brandon Spikes, linebacker. He was only arrested for minor crimes. He did, however, gouge someone's eyeball out while playing football during a game. And he somehow didn't find himself in jail for that one either. Like, I don't, did they even flag that? Uh, was there a penalty? It, hopefully. An but, eyeball. I mean, he has another one. Yeah, you got two. I mean, but usually you're, it probably hurt. <laughs> probably hurt a little bit. They've probably played under way worse pain than that, though. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. 
Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus. Stay chill or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Let's talk briefly about Aaron Hernandez, because we're not covering the Gators if we haven't talked about Aaron Hernandez a little bit. We could speak all day about Aaron Hernandez and how after playing for the University of Florida, he was drafted by the Patriots. And he even managed to score a touchdown during their trip to the Super Bowl. Not bad. But in June 2013, after just three seasons with the Pats, he was arrested for the murder of his friend Odin Lloyd, who was a 27-year-old semi-pro football player who was dating his girlfriend's sister. From there, Hernandez's reputation kind of came to the forefront and it began to crumble because they discovered he's been living a double life. He's kind of pro football family man by the day and like wannabe gangster by night. And in 2015, he was indeed convicted to life in prison for the murder of Lloyd. Two years later, just after he was acquitted on a double homicide, a different murder, which was an unsolved case from 2012, he had been connected. After Odin's death, the former Patriot, he was found dead in his prison cell. Authorities ruled it a suicide. And I know there's been a lot more revealed since then. Allegations of abuse as a child. But that's not the point. The point is, how do all these players keep ending up on one team? And as a side note, my day job is I'm also a litigation consultant, a jury consultant. And our firm was um, engaged or asked if we'd be willing to pick Aaron Hernandez's jury. Oh. And I was I was too scared to do it. I don't know oh, if it would have been me, but I thought, God, I think this guy hires hits. I wasn't sure, but I just I I didn't do it. Probably I mean, a smart call, Michelle. I I have <laughs> I've hung out with way too many murderers <laughs> to add them to. Uh, yeah, no. As we've seen, the consequences for these players are not great. They vary. You know, I mean, some faced little discipline, some were kicked out of the university. Dunlap, who I mentioned, was suspended for the SEC title game. So there was some consequences. And there's the obvious possibility that these athletes get preferential treatment from law enforcement. There's no doubt that that's the case, but there's got to be more. And the study that I mentioned earlier that kind of outlines how the Gators, you know, were such an outlier here, they talk about that these these many of these schools, the the athletes benefit from the confluence of factors that are just the reality for sports programs. They get near immediate access to high-profile attorneys. There's major intimidation that is felt by witnesses who accuse these athletes. And the higher bar that some criminal justice officials feel needs to be met in high-profile cases. You know, like, that's obvious. I saw this at Boulder when I was at undergrad at University of Colorado Boulder. This is a hard story to hear. There was one sorority sister who was dating the star player, Steve Roska, and she was a darling girl. But I did see that he just kind of got away with things. It just, he was, he was untouchable. But more disturbingly, there was a sorority sister a couple years above me who, she was not afraid of a casual weekend hookup. She was not, you know, going home to study on the weekends. She was definitely at all the parties, and she definitely had lots of, you know, encounters with boys. 
But her reputation and her life was slandered so horribly when she pressed charges against some fraternity brothers, some of whom were athletes. And, you know, she called the police. They allegedly beat her and raped her, and I saw her. She was bloodied and battered. And you'd think, you would think that the university would step up. You'd think that the rest of the college students, the athletes, I don't know actually what happened. I know there were some consequences, but she was dragged through the mud. She was dragged through the mud when this happened, both legally and socially. And this was the late 90s. I'm hoping it was better than it was then. But even our sorority sisters were just like, well, she probably shouldn't have said anything. You know who those guys are. Yeah. That, and that's probably what happens a lot of the time, right? Choose not to say anything because of something like that happening. It's horrible, the pressure she probably faced, but then to go forward with it and then, you know, feel like everybody turned on hers. You got to feel horrible. You got to feel horrible. And there's a reason these players, you know, get away with stuff. And a lot of it's financial. And we'll get into that. I want to talk a little bit about what you and I actually talked about just over coffee recently, about some of the biological things that can happen when you play a high contact sport like football. I mean, this would not be an episode of how not to raise a serial killer if I didn't talk about head injuries and impulsivity and... Um, so, and I'll list them, and we don't need to dive too too far into them, but I think it's important to talk about, um, you know, head injuries. 60% of violent inmates in prison today, males, have head injuries. 60%. It doesn't occur like that in the normal population. There is definitely an unequivocal, strong relationship between head injuries and violence. And everyone's sick of hearing me say this, but if you injure this part right behind your forehead, the prefrontal cortex, you lose a lot of ability to control your impulses. But it's a little bit more complicated than that because you can also be born a little bit impulsive. And if you're born genetically impulsive, you're going to seek out kind of impulsive behaviors like maybe playing aggressive football or riding motorcycles or boxing or skateboarding or skiing really fast. And when you get injured, you are most likely to be injured right here, right in the front prefrontal cortex, and then you become more impulsive. Impulsivity begets impulsivity. So it's kind of like this vicious cycle of you're already impulsive, then you do something impulsively that injures your head, which makes you more impulsive. So then you do more things that are impulsive. It's slippery slope, slippery slope, a bit of a Cartesian circle. And they're also risk takers, right? Like you're going to do better in football if you're a risk taker. You're going to, you know, run, jump higher, faster, hit harder. You're not as afraid. Right. And you might be a little bit more aggressive. And the more aggressive you are, tell me if you think this is a possible theory. The more aggressive you are, the more attractive you are to a recruiter. Yeah, definitely. Like you run through a wall for your team. You know, I think teams want that in a player a lot of times. So those are kind of obvious biological explanations for this un- ugly underbelly of the sport. And then there's CTE, which is, has a lot of press right now, chronic traumatic encephalopathy. And this is what we were talking about this weekend. Yes. Question for you, Michelle. Like, There's also the committing these crimes or doing what they do and then just living your normal life the next day. Is that part of this? I think... They probably aren't as normal as we'd like to think in their everyday lives. I don't think you take your impulsivity and all of a sudden grow a frontal cortex with a lot of impulse control when you're not playing. I imagine, um, you know, they're doing a lot of stupid things, which is why they're getting caught off the field as well. Yeah. 
I guess with Aaron Hernandez, when you know the the double murder, and then played a full season after that, like a, almost a Pro Bowl type season, talking to media every week, you know, and never looking like the type of person who would just potentially killed two people. There's even footage of this of him with the other two guys that participated hanging out at Aaron Hernandez's house the next day, playing with his kid and then going their separate ways in the afternoon, but just no thought of what they just did. That can be entitlement. That can be they had it coming. That can be the lack of guilt and remorse that we see in psychopathic individuals. There are a lot of reasons I think that um, people can act like that post-crime, but it certainly makes me think it wasn't their first rodeo. There's a habituation. I've had criminals, first of all, this is studied, but I've also had criminals just tell me from their own personal experiences that the first kill's hard. The second kill's not very hard, not as hard as first, the third kill, and then they get sloppy because it's so damn easy. I mean, they can eat next to the crime scene, whereas before they had to shoot from far away, they ramp it up, now they're stabbing him because they're just desensitized to it. So. It could just be that this wasn't his first time. You know, there's a lot of potential disturbing explanations for that. Bringing it back to the CTE that is now getting a lot of attention, and I don't want to dive too deep into this because it's not a neuroscience podcast, although I like to try to make it one. There are symptoms that develop right away. So CTE happens when you've had repeated hits to the head. So it's quite common in football. I'll give you a little caveat about that that I learned from the Boston University that's studying this. But okay, so CTE, that happens from repeated hits to the head. It's very common in football and boxing. And it's not something that can be diagnosed until you're dead, until they're actually looking at your brain. But there are symptoms that are making them look at it. We've lost a lot of football players to suicide, and that's one of the possible symptoms of CTE. But the other ones are kind of harder to put your finger on because they can just happen to anybody and then some of them aren't that hard. So difficulty thinking, which is just cognitive impairment, memory loss, problems with planning, organization, and carrying out of tasks, impulsive behavior, aggression, depression, apathy, emotional instability, substance misuse, suicidal thoughts, and behavior. And those symptoms happen kind of right away. The way researchers are looking at CTE now is that there are symptoms that happen quite quickly after the head injury, right around your 20s and 30s, and it causes the mental health and the behavioral problems. So you're going to see depression, anxiety, impulsivity, uh, you know, aggression. And then the second wave of the effects of CT is thought to come later in life, around age 60. And these signs and symptoms include memory and thinking problems, and they can progress to dementia. There's all these studies that there's um, a buildup of a protein in the blood vessels called tau that happens in CT that probably contributes to these this memory loss dementia that happens later. But now, as I mentioned, you can't really diagnose this until you get the actual brain in your hands. And in 2017, on the brains of deceased gridiron football players, 99% of the brains tested of NFL players, 88% of Canadian players, 64% of semi-professional football players and 91% of college football players and 21% of high school football players, but that's not that high, but it's still pretty high. All of them were in various stages of CTE. 
Now, there's there's limitations to that study because if you are the type of person who's going to donate your loved one's brain to the study, then you've already seen signs of CTE, right? So you're thinking, God, this kid is not acting, or this adult, my husband, whatever, isn't acting the way he used to act. Could he have this? And there's also the NFL has some payment programs, so there's other incentives to get involved, but that's what they're seeing. My uncle, Chuck Robio, played for the Vikings, and we put him in this program and actually sent his brain to the Boston University studying it. But I sat on the phone with the um, neurologists, and one thing that they said to me that was really striking, and I mentioned this to you, is that the worst injuries that they're seeing is from high school football and some college, not the pros. Because by the time you get to the pros, you got better coaches and you have better, you know how to hit better. Right. It's these high school coaches who are like, get back out there, post-concussion. Yeah. Can you stand up? Okay, go. Go. Are you breathing? Yeah. You good. <laughs> right. And there's also the pressure of... If you can't play, somebody's taking your spot, especially as a pro. And so they'll do whatever they can to stay on the field rather than potentially lose their job, you know, to their backup who might, you know, play better or never come out of the game. So they, I think they also feel a lot of pressure to stay out there injured or risk losing their spot. And when you look at how much money they make or have the potential to make, you get it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the fame, the notoriety, the excitement of being out there i'm sure there's a lot of factors that say i can play through this and i can mm-hmm. be back out there next week or next play i did it a guy who um played college football and he said afterwards something about the zone he's like mm-hmm. as the quarterback and they're yelling your name and you never feel that again unless yeah. you go on to play pro like that just that zone of all eyes are on you. What you're about to do is incredibly important. I don't know if those yeah. are the words you use, but something about, I remember talking about the zone. I'm like, yeah. I, most of us will never know what that feels like. It must be so addicting, right? Mm-hmm. So so uh, you want, you feel it once and you want to you feel it again and again. Yeah, it's like a drug. So like, what's going on here? I have no doubt that all of those variables that we just talked about are operating in the background. You have entitled, impulsive, risk-taking players who are experiencing head trauma on the regular, You have permissive law enforcement that turns a blind eye and tacitly leaves all of this crime business to university police who aren't super excited to indict their players. You also have the available heuristic of it makes the news every time an athlete is finally busted. So it makes it seem like it happens more often than it probably does. But here's the rub, Kevin. You would expect this phenomenon and culture of violence from these athletes to exist pretty equally across winning football teams around the nation, right? And that's not what we have here. While most teams did and do have a pretty consistent number of arrests across the country, the Gators were an incredible outlier, mathematically way more criminal than the rest of the teams. Do you know where I'm going? I think I do. Most psychopaths, Kevin, are not languishing away in jail or on death row. You've heard me say that. The vast majority of people with psychopathy live amongst us. Some are doctors, some become lawyers, politicians, CEOs, and some become college football head coaches. <laughs> Very often successful football coaches, um, though the head coaches are paid, they're the highest paid state employee sometimes at their respective public institutions. And I mean, and with the hopes of an entire, like entire universities, cities and states riding on the success of a football team, to be a college football head coach takes a lot of sand or just not giving a fuckness. And <laughs> yes. it's 
it's high risk, but it's super high reward. The average tenure I read is four to six years. So you make it or you get fired. And then, okay, who can do that? Who's built for and attracted to these high visibility, high stakes situations? Enter Urban Meyer. Oh, I have lots of opinions about him. Urban Meyer's got a lot of history behind him. Yeah, I think he's a special kind of coach, selling the dream, selling whatever it takes to win, if I might quote him, and I think he actually meant that. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash specialoffer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash specialoffer. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. So to give listeners a little bit of background of just how successful this guy was, Hall of Fame college football coach, winner of three national championships, one with Ohio State, as you mentioned, Two with Florida, the Gators. He is the third winningest head coach in terms of winning percentage in history. He coached every single one of those players I detailed. Every one of them. And he did this all under the guise of the cross. Super religious. He's even named after a pope. It's disturbing if you look back at the Bible study stuff that I looked back at. I'm like, you can't be both. I think you're weaponizing religion here and manipulating parents and and athletes into this but i digress despite these hollowed laurels his entire career has been marked by scandals as you said and violations that are now risen to the fore and they impugn his legacy i wrote down a bunch of these like like as you mentioned i feel like he kind of knew that he was going to crumble obviously he's a great coach right but why he sensed he might have been crumbling. Um, I mean, it should be mentioned that after he won two of those national championships in Florida, and then in December of 2009, just after losing the SEC championship to the ascendant Alabama Crimson Tide, Urban claimed chest pains and was hospitalized and issued a statement requiring a leave of absence. And, you know, perhaps he saw the writing on the wall that he was just going to have to engineer his next self-serving move. And every, when I looked back, everything he's done has been without guilt, remorse, has been very goal-driven, self-serving, and without much of a conscience. And his quarterback on that Florida team, he could really, you know, fall behind as a very religious leader, Tim Tebow. Mm. I mean, the two of them, it was absolutely perfect, right? You've got Tim Tebow, who's praying on the sidelines. You've got... Urban Meyer, who's running Sunday, you know, Bible study with all of these players. And it's always God this and God that while like pay no attention to what we're doing. Naughty. Like, who? what are you speaking to when you're talking to God, Mr. Hernandez, after you've said what you've said that, you know, he's possibly killing multiple people? What does that look like in prayer group? 
Yeah, how authentic is that? You know, Urban Meyer's checking a box to say that, you know, they got together on a Sunday and repents for all their bad behaviors. And, you know, Monday we can go back to practice. It's a weekly cleanse, maybe. The weekly cleanse, like, you're, I mean, your sins are forgiven if you ask for forgiveness. So I've never been anything but an atheist. I, I really have a tremendous amount of respect for everybody's beliefs, and I think that's the beauty of this country, is that I will defend your right to believe whatever the hell you want, but please don't make me live under the rules of your religion. So, But I certainly honor everyone's religion, and plenty of people around me are super religious. I am not meaning to speak poorly about bringing God and prayer into football. It doesn't do anything for me, but I understand how that can be an important for you know just the religious culture of the team. But I think it's a little bit fraudulent. I mean, here, in 2011, after a three-month investigation, the Sporting News published an expose titled How Urban Meyer Broke Florida Football. They suggested that Meyer had created a toxic culture in the locker room at Florida and departed just before the implosion, like we said, kind of knows when to get out. The article quoted several Florida players who declared that Meyer developed a quote-unquote circle of trust, and he literally called it that, that included only the star players and those, um, like, the players who received favorable treatment were not having to complete workouts, lenient punishments, and hiding the players' positive drug tests from the public. Although Meyer himself stated, I've never heard of the circle of trust before in my life. Former players contend it was the foundation of Florida's culture under Meyer. To this day, there's been no accountability. Meyer addressed the situation, the players that were charged with crimes during his time at Florida, and he noted that, you know, the propensity of college students to get in trouble, that's not his problem. He dismissed the criticisms that he was too lenient and that the players were too undisciplined, and he said he was proud of them, despite their crimes. You know, it just leaves everybody wondering, what was the culture of football in Florida? And, you know, was this program just coincidentally filled with players of questionable character? Or was this the culture that it seems to have been? And culture starts at the top. After Hernandez is arrested for murder, Meyer, about to start his second season as coach of Ohio State, he initially says, I'm not going to answer questions about him, but like, it's none of my business. But this is, Aaron Hernandez regularly went to Bible study at Meyer's home. So he did finally answer questions when that was brought up to him. And he says, relating or blaming these serious charges to the University of Florida, myself or our staff is wrong and irresponsible, Meyer told the sports writer Tim May. First of all, I just have to stop with the grammar. It's not myself. You can only do something to yourself and call it myself. Like, I sent an email to myself. Sorry, I'm mad at him, so I'm going to be a grammarian. Yeah, let's I'm take that apart. I'm not going to silently correct his grammar. I'm going to publicly correct his grammar. <laughs> By the way, I speak incorrectly constantly, and I love it when people correct me, because the irony is I correct everybody, and then I'm this ass who does <laughs> for years. More years than I would care to admit, I used to say all intensive purposes. And then Peter Caltagirone, uh. Cal God bless him, he's like, um, Dr. Ward, that's how old I was. It's intense and purposes. And then all that flashed in front of my eyes was all the classes I taught, the meetings I hosted, the, the really smart people I talked to. And how often did I use that word? <laughs> anyway, I digress. Okay. He goes on to say, our staff, myself... Here he goes again with yep. his grammar. And our families worked very hard to mentor and guide him, he said of Hernandez. Bullshit. Yeah, well, how'd that turn out? 
Yeah. Well, and his demise at Ohio State came at the hand of a scandal surrounding the cover-up of one of his assistant's spousal abuse case. Yeah, one of his coaches. That's right. Right. It's 2018. Meyer was placed on paid administrative leave by Ohio State after reports surfaced that he knew about the spousal abuse allegations against assistant coach Zach Smith prior to Smith being fired. Cover-up. His assistant coach is being accused of wife beating, and that's but that's fine because you know what? After Hernandez, everything looks fine. Urban doesn't care. Honey Badger don't give a fuck. <laughs> Were they winning? Yes, it's okay. Uh, but, but are we winning? <laughs> then sit down. On January 14, 2021, Meyer was hired to become the head coach of the Jacksonville Jaguars, and on July 1st, 2021, the NFL fined Meyer. $100,000 for violating practice rules during organized activities. More risk-taking, fewer fucks given, zero. And then in early October, after Meyer coached his team to a loss against Cincinnati, he failed to fly home with his teammates, which I've been told is unheard of. That's unheard of. You always fly home with your boys, right? Right. It's the team. You're with them, win or lose. So he stays behind, and then a video appears that shows him inappropriately touching a woman while he was at a Columbus-area restaurant named, you ready, the Urban Myers Pint House. <laughs> Myers apologized to the team and the personnel, and Jaguars owner Shahid Khan said, you know what, Myers' behavior has been inexcusable, and Myers must regain our trust and respect. So toward the end of 2021, toward the end of the season, the Jaguars players and coaches were critical of Meyer's treatment of them, to which the team officially responded with assertions of Meyer's job security. So people are starting to notice that he might not be the good, you know, God-fearing Christian coach that he has painted himself to be, that he might actually be the problem. On December 15th, former Jaguars kicker Josh Lambeau publicly accused Meyer of physical abuse. Jaguars kicker Josh Lambeau told the Tampa Bay Times that Meyer kicked him. He said, Urban Meyer, while I'm in that stretch position, he's talking about being in a lunge, which is obviously a vulnerable position, comes up to me and says, and I'm quoting, hey dipshit, make your effing kicks and kicks me in the leg. He said that Meyer repeatedly kicked Lambeau's leg during warm-ups prior to the team's final preseason game. And Lambeau said it was inexcusable for any boss at any workplace to strike an employee. After Lambeau told Meyer never to kick him again, Lambeau said that Meyer responded with, I'm the head ball coach. I'll kick you whenever the fuck I want. Later that day, Lambert reported this incident to his agent. Because, by the way, now you're in with the big boys. Like, they have people whose careers depend on them being happy and staying. And the agent reported it to the team. And with hours of these new revelations from Lambeau, Jaguar's owner, again, Shahid Khan, made the decision to fire Meyer from his position and informed him of this in the early hours of December 16th, 2021. He seemed to just play by different rules and have different expectations and but what a crash and burn that was after such a high-profile college career. I mean, now everyone's interviewing all the former players, and there's this recurrent theme. The Jaguars were saying that there's no doubt the organizational culture Meyer fostered proved problematic from the start. So it's getting more attention. It's being more you know seen when he's pro, but 
if you look back, it cannot be a coincidence that he was the coach when not only, I mean, when they were, the Gators were making these incredible um, accomplishments, but they were committing atrocious crimes. Yeah. Homicides are actually quite rare. I mean, not unless you're hanging out with Aaron Hernandez, but <laughs> it, it's not as common as, you know, when I'm saying the words violence, there's violence that's it's usually not homicides and none are higher than the Gators. And it's so much more petty, you know, a lot of the Aaron Hernandez stuff was from bad looks at a bar. Um, Did he hurt people for spilling his drink and glaring at him? The double murder that he was accused of, I don't, I don't recall if he was convicted, but the documentary sh says that these two guys, one of them bumped into him in the bar and spilled his drink, I believe. I guess, you know, Aaron Hernandez was known for being very paranoid and thought that was something bigger than what it was. And, you know, it led to, led to their deaths. You know, you bring up Aaron Hernandez and, and the documentary, which outlined, you know, I mentioned it outlined a little bit of the background and that his life was more complicated than we had previously known. That's obviously not an excuse, but when people commit murders, people want to know why. So they, the first place they go is the childhood. And I thought to myself, I wonder if Urban Meyer was clever enough to go after players who not only had the prowess, the agility, the ability to win, but also who might come from more traumatized backgrounds who are looking for a family. They're yeah. looking for somebody to believe in and somebody who believes in them. Yeah, maybe you're right. Like a father figure or somebody that can be a role model that they haven't had and, you know, I'll take care of you. And probably a lot of promises made like that. It's a brilliant strategy. And I understand that coaches need that. They need you to buy in, right? They need right. you to believe that, if you go with them, you are going to be a star player. But that is the best way to groom, right? That's the best way to, to get somebody if, to do what you want them to do right. is to take somebody who might be looking to fill the void, might be looking, and that's gang members do this all the time. It's how they recruit people. It's how pedophiles and other offenders groom their victims. I mean, look at all these, these coaches who molest kids or molest students or athletes. They don't pick on the loud kid. They find the kid who might be troubled, might need a place to belong. Maybe Urban knew that. And he's like, not only are these guys great players, but they need me. I can sell them on this dream. It becomes, you know, your your team and you're with them all the time. And if 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 you've had a void in your life or if you're looking for direction and you, you're a great athlete and he's offering that to you, you know, offering that to um, the family when he visits the house, you know, all these coaches are visiting these players and meeting the family and send him to Florida and, and he'll be in good hands. And I'll this guy, him. yeah. And, and, you know, Urban Meyer at the time is one of the best coaches ever, you know, well-known coach. And a lot of people probably wanted to send kids to him because of what they could become um, and believing in him. And he was very religious and, um, you know, probably said a lot of the right things. And if you're sending your teenager, because when they're going to Gators, when they're going to Ohio State, they're kids still, you're sending them, you know they have the potential, you have coaches coming to recruit them, and one is like, this is my wife, we have Bible study every Sunday, we're, you know, this incredibly morally driven, our, our you know, ethical compass points at due north, you're going to feel more comfortable sending your baby there. It's actually a perfect place to be a psychopath. <laughs> I, I have never, I consider money managers all the time. I'm always looking. And, and on this podcast, I tell you places to send your kid if it's a little psychopath. And guess what? Coaching. Now there's a new one. There's a new place to send your little psychopath so that he doesn't end up killing people. But guess what? You don't also want him raising 
the team to kill people either. Uh, I went to Clemson University and, and the coach there right now is a huge motivator and inspirer and the players love him and a lot of them have gone on to do really well. I think Clemson's the only team that has a, a player from their school in, in every team that's in the playoffs in the NFL right now. So very high profile team, but he's very religious and he's very motivating and he um, you know, when he goes to a recruit's house, the first thing he'll do is spend time with the mom and talk to her and, you know, doesn't doesn't go to the children first or the players first. But I've never heard anything negative about him. Hopefully there's nothing that I don't know about. But, you know, um, people want to be a part of that and they go to that school because of the community he's built and the family atmosphere that he's created that they feel a part of. And, you know, he talks about it as being bigger than football. I like you telling me, telling us about that because, I, you know, I'm hoping Urban Meyer's just a bad seed, right? And that the other coaches do care about their players and not just winning. And they are being yeah. sincere when they promise those players, moms and dads and grandparents, that they're going to take good care of them and they're not going to let them do bad things or get hurt. I'm, I'm hoping that the sincerity is hopeful, stronger. Hopeful, <laughs> hopeful. Right. But I mean, at the end of the day, it is all about winning, right? And, you know, getting the contracts, getting the players, getting the, the bowl wins and um, it comes down to that. But yeah, I, I also hope that somebody like Clemson's coach, Dabo Sweeney, who I, I love, is doing it for the right reasons. And he seems to be, but we, we never know everything about everything, so. Yeah, I, I, and you can only hope, and I am not one to, I try not to at least generalize like, oh, football players are this or football players are that. And like I said, my own family members are wonderful people, play the sport. I just, when I read this level of egregious crime, violence, grooming, it's hard for me not to want to institutionally break it open and say, well, what's going on? Like, obviously, the vast majority of players are not committing crimes unless you are on the Gators in 2008 obviously the vast majority are not bad people and they're not hitting women and killing people and selling drugs and doing all of these horrible things. Um, but I've never in my 20 years of studying this had this conversation. It's always just been head trauma, impulsivity, and aggression. And the fact that it could also be culture, the culture of the team, which is created by the coach. Right. Kevin, anything That's else we need to talk about? Urban Meyer? I think it's funny that the, the leaked title of the Netflix documentary coming up about this 2008 Florida team is called The Swamps of Florida. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if I they can say that, we can say anything. Like, yeah. The Swamps but apparently of Florida? Urban, yeah, The Swamps of Florida. And apparently, like from the articles that I've read, it, it doesn't sound like it's going to look well for Urban Meyer. So um, it'll be really fascinating to see what what's in, involved in this documentary. I think it's a three or four part series. Okay, I'm bringing but, over the popcorn. We're gonna watch it. Absolutely. Tell your wife that this Can't is gonna wait. be a football weekend. Can't wait. Um, yeah, nothing more about Urban Meyer, but one thing I did wanna share that you brought up earlier about the CTE and the suicides of these players, um, even Aaron Hernandez. But there was one professional Hall of Fame player from the Chargers who uh, committed suicide. This was, I don't know when this was, five, five years ago, maybe, um, name was Junior Seau. Um, Junior, yeah. Yeah, just w everything that I've read, like just a, a great person, you know, very community driven and was with the Chargers for a long time, but he committed suicide and he, um, what I understand is he purposefully shot himself in the chest so that his brain could go to, to, to be studied, but he couldn't, you know, he didn't want to be around anymore, but he didn't want to do it in a way that would, you know, he wanted to do it in a way that still could be learned from because he knew he had problems. You know, that's very sad what happened to him, but 
the saving graces. He wanted everybody to be able to learn from it rather than, yeah. you know, just be, you know, take his own life in a, in a way that couldn't be studied, I guess, um, to have that wherewithal of this needs to be looked at more deeply. And, you know, I can help even in his lowest point was mm-hmm. remarkable, I thought. And there's not resistance. What you're bringing up, I'm, I'm, I knew who Junior Sale was. He played at SC, right? And yeah. Then he, yeah. And he played with people I know very well. And he was friends with a friend of mine. I don't know him personally. I've met him, but I don't know him personally. But everybody said he was just a wonderful person, right. just a kind, good guy who would do anything for you. So it doesn't surprise me to hear that he preserved his brain. But the point I wanted to make is these are people who love football. And CTE is casting shade on football. It's creating a blemish. And for them to agree that something is going on that could hurt the sport they lived for means that something is going on. Yeah. They're feeling things that they know are biological and aren't normal. And for for players to to be willing to donate their brains. I mean, my uncle was like, yeah, let's talk about this. Like, that means it's not, this is their life. This is what yeah. they are, you know, this is what they're known for for their entire lives. They're not going to go down without a fight and with anything that's going to disparage their love of, you know, their sport. So the fact that they are saying, yeah, something's happening makes me really truly believe that it is strong, pervasive, and as time goes on, the results are going to be more and more shocking. Yeah. And it's still, you know, you see some of these concussions. There's a, the Dolphins quarterback has had a couple where he was on the ground and didn't look right at all. You know, hands are discombobulated and, you know, almost having a seizure um, and then coming back in the next game. To, to know what we know today and to for that to to happen when you see some of those videos of, of how they react after getting hit is just, you know, there still needs to be more done about it, obviously. Mm-hmm. And I, I think you asked the question earlier about what I let Oliver, my son play football. And, you know, I say, I say no, but it's, I don't have to battle with him of him wanting to play, which is different. You know, I have, I have a, a cousin actually who is his son loves football and wants to play really bad. And, and they're a little like, what do we do? Um, that's a different situation. Um, but, I think it's fascinating to hear some of these retired pro football players, you know, and I've heard some of them say, I wouldn't let my children play. And that tells you a lot. Like you said, like they know there's something wrong with the sport or something, you know, is not worth it maybe. Um, But there's so much money in it too. And how do you, you know, that's the the juxtaposition of all these CTEs conversations or safety conversations is, you know, they don't want to lose money on these games and take, you know, take the violence out of it. That's what people go to watch. And mm. But then you see what happened with the Bills player a few weeks ago. And, mm-hmm. you know, remarkable that they stopped that game. And, you know, years, a few years ago, you wouldn't expect them to. Um, so someone's literally in cardiac arrest and, like, actually technically dead on the field and they're not going to stop the game. It's happened before. It happened, um, there was a Detroit Lions player decades ago that he died on the field. And I, if I remember correctly, they did not, I don't think they stopped the game. Usual, a lion hurt down there at the 16-yard line. He just collapsed and fell, and he seems to be in a considerable amount of pain down there at the 16-yard line. We've got a minute and two seconds left in this one here. And they are administering mouth-to-mouth resuscitation to Hughes, and Dr. Guise is now pumping his chest uh, 
we may have a real serious one down here. I certainly not hope not, but uh, this young man is in serious trouble. That's horrifying. I mean, that's their brother. That's their teammate. That's their family. You're going to make them play because there's so much freaking money. So much money on the line. But then you know the quarter, the Dolphins quarterback. Uh, Tua, Tua Tunga, Tunga Viola, I think is how you say it. Um, what I was saying earlier, he doesn't want to lose his job, you know? So he's going to do everything he can to get back out there. Um, and he's only been in the league for a couple of years and his career could potentially end really early. But he's he's fighting for his job and he wants to be out there playing. And that's what, you know, everybody's up against. Thank you, first of all, because you, you opened up a new um, subject for me that I can now spend hours <laughs> studying. Thanks for bringing that to our attention. And hopefully, you know, I mean, I know we're saying some pretty uh, inflammatory things, but, you know, this is a shocking subject. I mean, I'm out of my wheelhouse 100% here talking about football, but I really appreciate this opportunity to be out of my wheelhouse and discover something new and whatever. next wins. up ice hockey. Yeah, I mean, exactly. There's a lot of head hits in that, too. Absolutely. The, the toothless wonders come on the podcast. Yeah, and I mean, that's one sport where fighting is, is allowed for yeah, you're a minor to. infraction. You're supposed to check each other. Okay, that's my next deep dive. I'm going to go look in the crime in hockey. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Kevin. You are awesome. I really, really appreciate you coming on. Um, yeah, I love it. This has been another episode of How Not to Raise a Serial Killer, and we will see you soon. How Not to Raise a Serial Killer is a Cloud 10 Media production, executive produced by me, Dr. Michelle Ward, and Sim Sarna. Our editor is Emily Crane. Our music was created by Josh Cook, with artwork provided by Brian Stefanik. Follow us on Instagram at How Not to Raise a Serial Killer and on TikTok and Twitter at Hentrask. That's at H N T R A S K. If you like our show, do me a favor and rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. After all, if more people know about the show, maybe fewer kids will turn into serial killers. Who knows? Thanks so much for listening. See you next week. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.